division nine part two of human all too human a book for free spirits by friedrich nietzsche translated by helen zimmern this librivox recording is in the public domain ninth division part two man alone by himself six hundred deceptive and yet defensible just as in order to pass by an abyss or to cross a deep stream on a plank we require a railing not to hold fast by for it would instantly break down with us but to give the notion of security to the eye so in youth we require persons who unconsciously render us the service of that railing it is true they would not help us if we really wished to lean upon them in great danger but they afford the tranquillizing sensation of protection close to one for instance fathers teachers friends as all three usually are six o one learning to love one must learn to love one must learn to be kind and this from childhood onwards when education and chance give us no opportunity for the exercise of these feelings our soul becomes dried up and even incapable of understanding the fine devices of loving men in the same way hatred must be learnt and fostered when one wants to become a proficient hater otherwise the germ of it will gradually die out six o two ruin as ornament persons who pass through numerous mental phases retain certain sentiments and habits of their earlier states which then project like a piece of inexplicable antiquity and grey stonework into their new thought and action often to the embellishment of the whole surroundings six o three love and honour love desires fear avoids that is why one cannot be both loved and honoured by the same person at least not at the same time for he who honours recognises power that is to say he fears it he is in a state of reverential fear erfurcht. but love recognises no power nothing that divides detaches superordinates or subordinates because it does not honour them ambitious people secretly or openly resent being loved six o four a prejudice in favour of cold natures people who quickly take fire grow cold quickly and therefore are on the whole unreliable for those therefore who are always cold or pretend to be so there is the favourable prejudice that they are particularly trustworthy reliable persons they are confounded with those who take fire slowly and retain it long six o five the danger in free opinions frivolous occupation with free opinions has a charm like a kind of itching if one yields to it further one begins to chafe the places until at last an open painful wound results that is to say until the free opinion begins to disturb and torment us in our position in life and in our human relations six o six desire for sore affliction when passion is over it leaves behind an obscure longing for it and even in disappearing it casts a seductive glance at us 
it must have afforded a kind of pleasure to have been beaten with this scourge compared with it the more moderate sensations appear insipid we still prefer apparently the more violent displeasure to languid delight six o seven dissatisfaction with others and with the world when as so frequently happens we vent our dissatisfaction on others when we are really dissatisfied with ourselves we are in fact attempting to mystify and deceive our judgment we desire to find a motive a posteriori for this dissatisfaction in the mistakes or deficiencies of others and so lose sight of ourselves strictly religious people who have been relentless judges of themselves have at the same time spoken most ill of humanity generally there has never been a saint who reserved sin for himself and virtue for others any more than a man who according to buddha's rule hides his good qualities from people and only shows his bad ones six o eight confusion of cause and effect unconsciously we seek the principles and opinions which are suited to our temperament so that at last it seems as if these principles and opinions had formed our character and given it support and stability whereas exactly the contrary has taken place our thoughts and judgments are apparently to be taken subsequently as the causes of our nature but as a matter of fact our nature is the cause of our so thinking and judging and what induces us to play this almost unconscious comedy inertness and convenience and to a large extent also the vain desire to be regarded as thoroughly consistent and homogeneous in nature and thought for this wins respect and gives confidence and power six o nine age in relation to truth young people love what is interesting and exceptional indifferent whether it is truth or falsehood riper minds love what is interesting and extraordinary when it is truth matured minds finally love truth even in those in whom it appears plain and simple and is found tiresome by ordinary people because they have observed that truth is in the habit of giving utterance to its highest intellectual verities with all the appearance of simplicity six ten men as bad poets just as bad poets seek a thought to fit the rhyme in the second half of the verse so men in the second half of life having become more scrupulous are in the habit of seeking pursuits positions and conditions which suit those of their earlier life so that outwardly all sounds well but their life is no longer ruled and continuously determined anew by a powerful thought in place thereof there is merely the intention of finding a rhyme six eleven ennui and play necessity compels us to work with the product of which the necessity is appeased the ever new awakening of necessity however accustoms us to work but in the intervals in which necessity is appeased and sleep as it were we are attacked by ennui what is this in a word it is the habituation to work which now makes itself felt as a new and additional necessity it will be all the stronger the more a person has been accustomed to work perhaps even the more a person has suffered from necessities in order to escape ennui a man either works beyond the extent of his former necessities 
or he invents play that is to say work that is only intended to appease the general necessity for work he who has become satiated with play and has no new necessities impelling him to work is sometimes attacked by the longing for a third state which is related to play as gliding is to dancing as dancing is to walking a blessed tranquil movement it is the artist's and philosopher's vision of happiness six twelve lessons from pictures if we look at a series of pictures of ourselves from the time of later childhood to the time of mature manhood we discover with pleased surprise that the man bears more resemblance to the child than to the youth that probably therefore in accordance with this fact there has been in the interval a temporary alienation of the fundamental character over which the collected concentrated force of the man has again become master with this observation this other is also in accordance namely that all strong influences of passions teachers and political events which in our youthful years draw us hither and thither seem later on to be referred back again to a fixed standard of course they still continue to exist and operate within us but our fundamental sentiments and opinions have now the upper hand and use their influence perhaps as a source of strength but are no longer merely regulative as was perhaps the case in our twenties thus even the thoughts and sentiments of the man appear more in accordance with those of his childish years and this subjective fact expresses itself in the above-mentioned subjective fact six thirteen the tone of voice of different ages the tone in which youths speak praise blame and versify displeases an older person because it is too loud and yet at the same time dull and confused like a sound in a vault which acquires such a loud ring owing to the emptiness for most of the thought of youths does not gush forth out of the fullness of their own nature but is the accord and the echo of what has been thought said praised or blamed around them as their sentiments however their inclinations and aversions resound much more forcibly than the reasons thereof there is heard whenever they divulge these sentiments the dull clanging tone which is a sign of the absence of scarcity of reasons the tone of riper age is rigorous abruptly concise moderately loud but like everything distinctly articulated is heard very far off old age finally often brings a certain mildness and consideration into the tone of the voice and as it were sweetens it in many cases to be sure it also sours it six fourteen the atavist and the forerunner the man of unpleasant character full of distrust envious of the success of fellow-competitors and neighbours violent and enraged at divergent opinions shows that he belongs to an earlier greater culture and is therefore an atavism for the way in which he behaves to people was right and suitable only for an age of club law he is an atavist the man of a different character rich in sympathy winning friends everywhere finding all that is growing and becoming amiable rejoicing at the honours and successes of others and claiming no privilege of solely knowing the truth but full of modest distrust he is a forerunner who presses up towards a higher human culture the man of unpleasant character dates from the times when the rude basis of human intercourse had yet to be laid the other lives on the upper floor of the edifice of culture removed as far as possible from the howling and raging wild beast imprisoned in the cellars six fifteen consolation for hypochondriacs when a great thinker is temporarily subjected 
to hypochondriacal self-torture he can say to himself by way of consolation it is thine own great strength on which this parasite feeds and grows if thy strength were smaller thou wouldst have less to suffer the statesman may say just the same thing when jealousy and vengeful feeling or in a word the tone of the bellum omnium contra omnis for which as the representative of a nation he must necessarily have a great capacity occasionally intrudes into his personal relations and makes his life hard six sixteen estranged from the present there are great advantages in estranging oneself for once to a large extent from one's age and being as it were driven back from its shores into the ocean of past views of things looking thence towards the coast one commands a view perhaps for the first time of its aggregate formation and when one again approaches the land one has the advantage of understanding it better on the whole than those who have never left it six seventeen sowing and reaping on the field of personal defects men like rousseau understand how to use their weaknesses defects and vices as manure for their talent when rousseau bewails the corruption and degeneration of society as the evil results of culture there is a personal experience at the bottom of it the bitterness which gives sharpness to his general condemnation and poisons the arrows with which he shoots he unburdens himself first as an individual and thinks of getting a remedy which while benefiting society directly will also benefit himself indirectly by means of society six eighteen philosophically minded we usually endeavour to acquire one attitude of mind one set of opinions for all situations and events of life it is mostly called being philosophically minded but for the acquisition of knowledge it may be of greater importance not to make ourselves thus uniform but to hearken to the low voice of the different situations in life these bring their own opinions with them we thus take an intelligent interest in the life and nature of many persons by not treating ourselves as rigid persistent single individuals six nineteen in the fire of contempt it is a fresh step towards independence when one first dares to give utterance to opinions which it is considered as disgraceful for a person to entertain even friends and acquaintances are then accustomed to grow anxious the gifted nature must also pass through this fire it afterwards belongs far more to itself six twenty self-sacrifice in the event of choice a great sacrifice is preferred to a small one because we compensate ourselves for the great sacrifice by self-admiration which is not possible in the case of a small one six twenty one love as an artifice whoever really wishes to become acquainted with something new whether it be a person an event or a book does well to take up the matter with all possible love and to avert his eye quickly from all that seems hostile objectionable and false therein in fact to forget such things so that for instance he gives the author of a book the best start possible and straightway just as in a race longs with beating heart that he may reach the goal in this manner one penetrates to the heart of the new thing to its moving point and this is called becoming acquainted with it this stage having been arrived at the understanding afterwards makes its restrictions the overestimation and the temporary suspension of the critical pendulum were only artifices to lure forth the soul of the matter six twenty two thinking too well and too ill of the world whether we think too well or too ill of things we always have the advantage of deriving therefrom a greater pleasure for with a too good preconception 
we usually put more sweetness into things experiences than they actually contain a too bad preconception causes a pleasant disappointment the pleasantness that lay in the things themselves is increased by the pleasantness of the surprise a gloomy temperament however will have the reverse experience in both cases six twenty three profound people those whose strength lies in the deepening of impressions they are usually called profound people are relatively self-possessed and decided in all sudden emergencies for in the first moment the impression is still shallow it only then becomes deep long foreseen long expected events or persons however excite such natures most and make them almost incapable of eventually having presence of mind on the arrival thereof six twenty four intercourse with the higher self every one has his good day when he finds his higher self and true humanity demands that a person shall be estimated according to this state and not according to his work-days of constraint and bondage a painter for instance should be appraised and honoured according to the most exalted vision he could see and represent but men themselves commune very differently with this their higher self and are frequently their own play-actors in so far as they repeatedly imitate what they are in those moments some stand in awe and humility before their ideal and would fain deny it they are afraid of their higher self because when it speaks it speaks pretentiously besides it has a ghost-like freedom of coming and staying away just as it pleases on that account it is often called a gift of the gods while in fact everything else is a gift of the gods of chance this however is the man himself six twenty five lonely people some people are so much accustomed to being alone in self-communion that they do not at all compare themselves with others but spin out their soliloquizing life in a quiet happy mood conversing pleasantly and even hilariously with themselves if however they are brought to the point of comparing themselves with others they are inclined to a brooding underestimation of their own worth so that they have first to be compelled by others to form once more a good and just opinion of themselves and even from this acquired opinion they will always want to subtract and abate something we must not therefore grudge certain persons their loneliness or foolishly commiserate them on that account as is so often done six twenty six without melody there are persons to whom a constant repose in themselves and the harmonious ordering of all their capacities is so natural that every definite activity is repugnant to them they resemble music which consists of nothing but prolonged harmonious accords without even the tendency to an organized and animated melody showing itself all external movement serves only to restore to the boat its equilibrium on the sea of harmonious euphony modern men usually become excessively impatient when they meet such natures who will never be anything in the world only it is not allowable to say of them that they are nothing but in certain moods the sight of them raises the unusual question why should there be melody at all why should it not suffice us when life mirrors itself peacefully in a deep lake the middle ages were richer in such natures than our times how seldom one now meets with any one who can live on so peacefully and happily with himself even in the midst of the crowd saying to himself like goethe the best thing of all is the deep calm in which i live and grow in opposition to the world and gain what it cannot take away from me with fire and sword six twenty seven to live and experience if we observe how some people can deal with their experiences 
their unimportant everyday experiences so that these become soil which yields fruit thrice a year whilst others and how many are driven through the surf of the most exciting adventures the most diversified movements of times and peoples and yet always remain light always remain on the surface like cork we are finally tempted to divide mankind into a minority minimality of those who know how to make much out of little and a majority of those who know how to make little out of much indeed we even meet with the counter sorcerers who instead of making the world out of nothing make a nothing out of the world six twenty eight seriousness in play in genoa one evening in the twilight i heard from a tower a long chiming of bells it was never like to end and sounded as if insatiable above the noise of the streets out into the evening sky and sea air so thrilling and at the same time so childish and so sad i then remembered the words of plato and suddenly felt the force of them in my heart human matters one and all are not worthy of great seriousness nevertheless six twenty nine conviction and justice the requirement that a person must afterwards when cool and sober stand by what he says promises and resolves during passion is one of the heaviest burdens that weigh upon mankind to have to acknowledge for all future time the consequences of anger of fiery revenge of enthusiastic devotion may lead to a bitterness against these feelings proportionate to the idolatry with which they are idolized especially by artists these cultivate to its full extent the esteem of the passions and have always done so to be sure they also glorify the terrible satisfaction of the passions which a person affords himself the outbreaks of vengeance with death mutilation or voluntary banishment in their train and the resignation of the broken heart in any case they keep alive curiosity about the passions it is as if they said without passions you have no experience whatever because we have sworn fidelity perhaps even to a purely fictitious being such as a god because we have surrendered our heart to a prince a party a woman a priestly order an artist or a thinker in a state of infatuated delusion that threw a charm over us and made those beings appear worthy of all veneration and every sacrifice are we therefore firmly and inevitably bound or did we not after all deceive ourselves then was there not a hypothetical promise under the tacit presupposition that those beings to whom we consecrated ourselves were really the beings they seemed to be in our imagination are we under obligation to be faithful to our errors even with the knowledge that by this fidelity we may cause injury to our higher selves no there is no law no obligation of that sort we must become traitors we must act unfaithfully and abandon our ideals again and again we cannot advance from one period of life into another without causing these pains of treachery and also suffering from them might it be necessary to guard against the ebullitions of our feelings in order to escape these pains would not the world then become too arid too ghost-like for us rather will we ask ourselves whether these pains are necessary on a change of convictions or whether they do not depend on a mistaken opinion and estimate why do we admire a person who remains true to his convictions and despise him who changes them i fear the answer must be because every one takes for granted that such a change is caused only by motives of more general utility or of personal trouble that is to say we believe at bottom that nobody alters his opinions 
as long as they are advantageous to him or at least as long as they do not cause him any harm if it is so however it furnishes a bad proof of the intellectual significance of all convictions let us once examine how convictions arise and let us see whether their importance is not greatly overestimated it will thereby be seen that the change of convictions also is in all circumstances judged according to a false standard that we have hitherto been accustomed to suffer too much from this change six thirty conviction is belief in the possession of absolute truth on any matter of knowledge this belief takes it for granted therefore that there are absolute truths also that perfect methods have been found for attaining to them and finally that every one who has convictions makes use of these perfect methods all three notions show at once that the man of convictions is not the man of scientific thought he seems to us still in the age of theoretical innocence and is practically a child however grown up he may be whole centuries however have been lived under the influence of those childlike presuppositions and out of them have flowed the mightiest sources of human strength the countless numbers who sacrificed themselves for their convictions believed they were doing it for the sake of absolute truth they were all wrong however probably no one has ever sacrificed himself for truth at least the dogmatic expression of the faith of any such person has been unscientific or only partly scientific but really people wanted to carry their point because they believed that they must be in the right to allow their belief to be wrested from them probably meant calling in question their eternal salvation in an affair of such extreme importance the will was too audibly the prompter of the intellect the presupposition of every believer of every shade of belief has been that he could not be confuted if the counter-arguments happened to be very strong it always remained for him to decry intellect generally and perhaps even to set up the credo quia absurdum est as the standard of extreme fanaticism it is not the struggle of opinions that has made history so turbulent but the struggle of belief in opinions that is to say of convictions if all those who thought so highly of their convictions who made sacrifices of all kinds for them and spared neither honour body nor life in their service had only devoted half of their energy to examining their right to adhere to this or that conviction and by what road they arrived at it how peaceable would the history of mankind now appear how much more knowledge would there be all the cruel scenes in connection with the persecution of heretics of all kinds would have been avoided for two reasons firstly because the inquisitors would above all have inquired of themselves and would have recognized the presumption of defending absolute truth and secondly because the heretics themselves would after examination have taken no more interest in such badly established doctrines as those of all religious sectarians and orthodox believers six thirty one from the ages in which it was customary to believe in the possession of absolute truth people have inherited a profound dislike of all sceptical and relative attitudes with regard to questions of knowledge they mostly prefer to acquiesce for good or evil in the convictions of those in authority fathers friends teachers princes and they have a kind of remorse of conscience when they do not do so this tendency is quite comprehensible and its results furnish no ground for condemnation of the course of the development of human reason the scientific spirit in man however has gradually 
to bring to maturity the virtue of cautious forbearance the wise moderation which is better known in practical than in theoretical life and which for instance goethe has represented in antonio as an object of provocation for all tassos that is to say for unscientific and at the same time inactive natures the man of convictions has in himself the right not to comprehend the man of cautious thought the theoretical antonio the scientific man on the other hand has no right to blame the former on that account he takes no notice thereof and knows moreover that in certain cases the former will yet cling to him as tasso finally clung to antonio six thirty two he who has not passed through different phases of conviction but sticks to the faith in whose net he was first caught is under all circumstances just on account of this unchangeableness a representative of atavistic culture in accordance with this lack of culture which always presupposes plasticity for culture he is severe unintelligent unteachable without liberality an ever suspicious person an unscrupulous person who has recourse to all expedients for enforcing his opinions because he cannot conceive that there must be other opinions he is in such respects perhaps a source of strength and even wholesome in cultures that have become too emancipated and languid but only because he strongly incites to opposition for thereby the delicate organization of the new culture which is forced to struggle with him becomes strong itself six thirty three in essential respects we are still the same men as those of the time of the reformation how could it be otherwise but the fact that we no longer allow ourselves certain means for promoting the triumph of our opinions distinguishes us from that age and proves that we belong to a higher culture he who still combats and overthrows opinions with calumnies and outbursts of rage after the manner of the reformation men obviously betrays the fact that he would have burnt his adversaries had he lived in other times and that he would have resorted to all the methods of the inquisition if he had been an opponent of the reformation the inquisition was rational at that time for it represented nothing else than the universal application of martial law which had to be proclaimed throughout the entire domain of the church and which like all martial law gave a right to the extremist methods under the presupposition of course which we now no longer share with those people that the church possessed truth and had to preserve it at all costs and at any sacrifice for the salvation of mankind now however one does not so readily concede to any one that he possesses the truth strict methods of investigation have diffused enough of distrust and precaution that every one who violently advocates opinions in word and deed is looked upon as an enemy of our modern culture at least as an atavist as a matter of fact the pathos that man possesses truth is now of very little consequence in comparison with the certainly milder and less noisy pathos of the search for truth which is never weary of learning afresh and examining anew six thirty four moreover the methodical search for truth is itself the outcome of those ages in which convictions were at war with each other if the individual had not cared about his truth that is to say about carrying his point there would have been no method of investigation thus however by the eternal struggle of the claims of different individuals to absolute truth people went on step by step to find 
irrefragable principles according to which the rights of the claims could be tested and the dispute settled at first people decided according to authorities later on they criticized one another's ways and means of finding the presumed truth in the interval there was a period when people deduced the consequences of the adverse theory and perhaps found them to be productive of injury and unhappiness from which it was then to be inferred by every one that the conviction of the adversary involved an error the personal struggle of the thinker at last so sharpened his methods that real truths could be discovered and the mistakes of former methods exposed before the eyes of all six thirty five on the whole scientific methods are at least as important results of investigation as any other results for the scientific spirit is based upon a knowledge of method and if the methods were lost all the results of science could not prevent the renewed prevalence of superstition and absurdity clever people may learn as much as they like of the results of science but one still notices in their conversation and especially in the hypotheses they make that they lack the scientific spirit they have not the instinctive distrust of the devious courses of thinking which in consequence of long training has taken root in the soul of every scientific man it is enough for them to find any kind of hypothesis on a subject they are then all on fire for it and imagine the matter is thereby settled to have an opinion is with them equivalent to immediately becoming fanatical for it and finally taking it to heart as a conviction in the case of an unexplained matter they become heated for the first idea that comes into their head which has any resemblance to an explanation a course from which the worst results constantly follow especially in the field of politics on that account everybody should nowadays have become thoroughly acquainted with at least one science for then surely he knows what is meant by method and how necessary is the extremest carefulness to women in particular this advice is to be given at present as to those who are irretrievably the victims of all hypotheses especially when these have the appearance of being witty attractive enlivening and invigorating indeed on close inspection one sees that by far the greater number of educated people still desire convictions from a thinker and nothing but convictions and that only a small minority want certainty the former want to be forcibly carried away in order thereby to obtain an increase of strength the latter few have the real interest which disregards personal advantages and the increase of strength also the former class who greatly predominate are always reckoned upon when the thinker comports himself and labels himself as a genius and thus views himself as a higher being to whom authority belongs in so far as genius of this kind upholds the ardour of convictions and arouses distrust of the cautious and modest spirit of science it is an enemy of truth however much it may think itself the wooer thereof six thirty six there is certainly also an entirely different species of genius that of justice and i cannot make up my mind to estimate it lower than any kind of philosophical political or artistic genius its peculiarity is to go with heartfelt aversion out of the way of everything that blinds and confuses people's judgment of things it is consequently an adversary of convictions for it wants to give their own to all whether they be living or dead real or imaginary 
and for that purpose it must know thoroughly it therefore places everything in the best light and goes around it with careful eyes finally it will even give to its adversary the blind or short-sighted conviction as men call it among women it is called faith what is due to conviction for the sake of truth six thirty seven opinions evolve out of passions indolence of intellect allows those to congeal into convictions he however who is conscious of himself as a free restless lively spirit can prevent this congelation by constant change and if he is altogether a thinking snowball he will not have opinions in his head at all but only certainties and properly estimated probabilities but we who are of a mixed nature alternately inspired with ardour and chilled through and through by the intellect want to kneel before justice as the only goddess we acknowledge the fire in us generally makes us unjust and impure in the eyes of our goddess in this condition we are not permitted to take her hand and the serious smile of her approval never rests upon us we reverence her as the veiled isis of our life with shame we offer her our pain and as penance and sacrifice when the fire threatens to burn and consume us it is the intellect that saves us from being utterly burnt and reduced to ashes it occasionally drags us away from the sacrificial altar of justice or enwraps us in a garment of asbestos liberated from the fire and impelled by the intellect we then pass from opinion to opinion through the change of parties as noble betrayers of all things that can in any way be betrayed and nevertheless without a feeling of guilt six thirty eight the wanderer he who has attained intellectual emancipation to any extent cannot for a long time regard himself otherwise than as a wanderer on the face of the earth and not even as a traveller towards a final goal for there is no such thing but he certainly wants to observe and keep his eyes open to whatever actually happens in the world therefore he cannot attach his heart too firmly to anything individual he must have in himself something wandering that takes pleasure in change and transitoriness to be sure such a man will have bad nights when he is weary and finds the gates of the town that should offer him rest closed perhaps he may also find that as in the east the desert reaches to the gates that wild beasts howl far and near that a strong wind arises and that robbers take away his beasts of burden then the dreadful night closes over him like a second desert upon the desert and his heart grows weary of wandering then when the morning sun rises upon him glowing like a deity of anger when the town is opened he sees perhaps in the faces of the dwellers therein still more desert uncleanliness deceit and insecurity than outside the gates and the day is almost worse than the night thus it may occasionally happen to the wanderer but then there come as compensation the delightful mornings of other lands and days when already in the grey of the dawn he sees the throng of muses dancing by close to him in the midst of the mountain when afterwards in the symmetry of his anti-meridian soul he strolls silently under the trees out of whose crests and leafy hiding-places all manner of good and bright things are flung to him the gifts of all the free spirits who are at home in mountains forests and solitudes and who like himself alternately merry and thoughtful are wanderers and philosophers born of the secrets of the early dawn they ponder the question how the day between the hours of ten and twelve can have such a pure transparent and gloriously cheerful countenance they seek the anti-meridian philosophy End of division nine part 
too.